report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Picking up the pieces. Good afternoon and welcome to the broadcast. Tens of thousands remain without power today from last night's ferocious rain and windstorm. The goal is to get as many customers restored as quickly as possible. Utility crews have been working nonstop through the morning hours to get the lights back on, but it has not been easy. You have wet ground. You have wet trees, you got high winds, and this is a recipe for disaster. A wind gust of 74 miles per hour was recorded yesterday in Dunkirk, New York. This man describes what that sounded like. It was a freight train hitting a brick wall. Another Western New Yorker admits driving last night was difficult. All the lights were out, like, the intersection, so, like, I was Jeff Corklin's a truck driver from Erie, Pennsylvania, and says he's never witnessed a windstorm like the one he witnessed last night. I've been driving for 33 years, and I've never seen it like this, where just in a 10, 15-mile stretch, I saw four or five trucks just laid on their side. Dozens of roads remain closed today due to downed trees and power lines. Scores of schools are shut down, too. Correspondent Lana Zack continues our coverage. Behind the wheel and on the pavement, New Yorkers battling swamp streets and whipping winds. Forget about the umbrellas. Try to use a hood. Those gusts that reached between 40 and 50 miles per hour, part of a system that walloped the East Coast, inundating streets and turning them into rivers. At least four deaths blamed on the wicked weather, which wreaked havoc from the deep south all the way to New England. Blizzard-like conditions are expected this weekend near the Great Lakes with bitter cold settling in after that. The Biden administration's still dealing with the fallout from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's decision not to disclose his hospitalization from prostate cancer surgery. White House spokesman John Kirby. It's not the way this is supposed to happen. The president understands that. And uh, and that's why DOD is looking at their own procedures to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Austin underwent his cancer operation nearly three weeks ago, but it wasn't until yesterday that the president found out about it. Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale says the Pentagon chief needlessly imperiled national security by keeping his medical condition a secret. He plans to file articles of impeachment against the defense secretary. House Republicans begin the process today that could lead to the impeachment of Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas. He's accused of dereliction of duty for failing to secure the southern border. Well, we know there is absolute crisis at the border because of Secretary Mayorkas' refusal to do his job. Eight million illegal entries have occurred under Secretary Mayorkas' watch. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. Earlier this week, Mayorkas admitted that up to 85% of the illegal immigrants apprehended at the border are released into this country. Former pandemic point man Dr. Anthony Fauci told House lawmakers yesterday he's not convinced that children suffered learning loss due to school closures during COVID. Fauci made the stunning admission on the second and final day of his 14-hour closed-door interview with the House Select Committee on the coronavirus pandemic. The Iowa caucuses are just five days away and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says he's the only candidate in the race that's campaigned in all 99 
nine Iowa counties. I've answered questions from everyone in all corners of the state. These other candidates, uh, you know, Donald Trump's not been willing to come and answer your questions. I don't think Nikki Haley's gone a fraction of these counties. So I've been there. I've done it right. Uh, I think that Iowans appreciate that. Polls show Haley in second place to Donald Trump in Iowa and is even closer in New Hampshire, which will hold its first in the nation primary on January 23rd. Haley and DeSantis debate the issues tonight in Des Moines. That CNN debate starts at 9 o'clock. Federal investigators want to know if Boeing has any more damaged door plugs like the one that blew off an Alaskan Airlines flight at 16,000 feet last week. Boeing's CEO Dave Calhoun. I didn't know what happened to whoever was supposed to be in the seat next to that hole in the airplane. I got kids, I got grandkids, and so do you. This stuff matters. There are concerns that defective airplane parts may permeate the supply chain at Boeing, especially when it comes to those 737 MAX 9 jets. There's been another delay in getting Americans back on the moon. It now won't be until late 2026 when the first woman and first person of color will step foot on the moon. NASA delaying its Artemis moon landing program. The space agency had planned to send four astronauts around the moon late this year. That's now set for late next year. The first human moon landing in more than 50 years also got bumped from 2025 to September 2026. It cited safety and technical issues for the delays. Correspondent Matt Piper, armed gunman, took over a TV station in Ecuador Tuesday. That terror incident involved weapons pointed at staff as several hostages were taken during a live broadcast. The incident was aired for about 15 minutes before the signal was cut. Police later arrested all 13 suspects and thankfully no one was hurt. Still to come on the noon report for a Wednesday, Hochul targets mental health, trafficking by the numbers and storm aftermath. We'll recap the damage coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams looking at a blustery afternoon for many and there'll be some lake effect snows for some. I'll be back with forecast details in 10 minutes. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. In the meantime, let's check the stories making news where you live. All across New York and Pennsylvania, there's been no shortage of reaction to Governor Hochul's State of the State address in Albany yesterday. The chief executive laid out an ambitious agenda, though noticeably absent from her speech was the migrant crisis in New York. Crime and mental health issues did figure prominently in that address, as we hear from Casey Bortnick with Spectrum News. Among the proposals is $20 million to help district attorneys prosecute domestic violence violence offenders and take away their guns. The governor is proposing more inpatient psychiatric beds and the creation of more mental health courts. Tim Diamond with the New York Police Investigators Association says the governor's emphasis on crime is well received, though he'd like to see more reforms to the state's controversial bail reform laws. Emboldened many of our criminals to continue to go out and steal uh, from hardworking people. Glenn Liebman with the Mental Health Association of New York praised the governor for her approach to mental health reform. Things like children's mental health, youth mental health, school-based mental health clinics. Diamond agrees mental health is a major issue right now in the Empire State. We have a, a mental health crisis in our country. 
I'm really glad that um, the governor spoke on that and is looking to make some progress. All told, Governor Hochul unveiled some 200 proposals in yesterday's speech. She wants to change the way that reading is taught in schools, promote artificial intelligence, and create more affordable housing. The governor also proposed a first-in-the-nation prenatal leave act and wants a smash-and-grab division of the state police to combat retail theft. Pennsylvania is a hub for human trafficking due to the large amount of interstate traffic that flows through the Commonwealth. Still, the number of reported trafficking incidents are down in Pennsylvania and quite dramatically from last year. It doesn't necessarily mean that human trafficking is down. Cumberland County District Attorney Sean McCormack fears fewer trafficking victims are reporting those crimes to police. Law enforcement for a long time uh, was kind of behind the curve. We didn't know what we didn't know about human trafficking. There was a lot of stuff taking place right in our own communities and we didn't even know it. So we're still learning. Amy Thurston runs a shelter for trafficked victims in the Harrisburg area. Think of a survivor though. Think of a woman or a youth or some young man that this is happening to and that fear behind who their trafficker may be, fearful of reporting what that looks like. So we have to find safe places. Since 2020, the number of reported trafficking cases is down more than 40% in Pennsylvania. January, by the way, is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Here's another statistic in Pennsylvania and one that the Commonwealth does not want to repeat. No state saw more police officers shot and killed in the line of duty last year than did Pennsylvania. Lieutenant Kyle Gotch is a cop near the state capitol. There's an inherent risk being a police officer and everybody's aware of that when you do take the uh, the badge. Joe Regan is president of the Pennsylvania Fraternal Order of Police. It's dangerous. It's unpopular some t- for some reason now. 25 cops were shot in the Commonwealth in 2023. Five died from their injuries. Again, more than any other state in the country. More than 100 organizations in New York State are calling on Governor Hochul to use opioid settlement dollars to fund and expand overdose prevention centers. Here's Family Life's Jeremy Miller. The organizations disapprove of the state's rejection of recommendations from the the Opioid Settlement Advisory Board to fund harm reduction efforts, including needle exchanges, fentanyl strips, inpatient treatment, and safe injection sites. The New York Office of Addiction Services and Supports opted instead to keep the money for its own harm reduction unit. The group say more than 13,000 New Yorkers have died from a preventable overdose since Hochul took office, and that number keeps climbing while setting new records every year. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Thank you very much, Jeremy. The bear harvest in Pennsylvania is the lowest it's been in more than a decade, and wildlife experts think they know why. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. After whitetail deer hunting, no big game species draws the interest of Pennsylvania sportsmen like black bears do. Over the years, the Pennsylvania Game Commission has expanded its bear hunting opportunities to help keep the state's growing bear population in check. Despite a rise in harvesting for the last two decades, new reports show hunters took in less than 3,000 bears in 2023, the lowest total in 16 years. 
years. Game Commission officials say that the two main factors causing the drop were most likely the elimination of extended hunting in some areas due to overharvesting and high food sources available to the bears across much of the state. Although the harvest is down, the harvest does see fluctuation due to weather and hunter participation. Brian Query, Family Life News. All right, Brian, thank you. Sports is next. It's the two-minute drill as the noon report rolls on right here on Family Life. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, the college football season is over, and now the focus goes to basketball, and last night was a wild one. Both the number one and two-seeded teams lost, and they lost to unranked teams. Nebraska knocked off number one Purdue quite easily, 88-72, to and number two Houston lost its first game of the season at Iowa State, 57 to 53. It is the first time in eight years that the top two teams lost to unranked teams on the same day. Well, since we're talking hoops, let's move to the NBA. The Knicks up their winning streak to five after demolishing Portland 112 to 84. OG Ananobi scored 23 points and Julius Randle chipped in with 20. Sacramento blew out Detroit 131 to 110. The T-Wolves beat the Magic 113 to 92. The Mavs fell to the Grizzlies 120-103 and the Lakers edged Toronto 132 to 131. On the ice, the Sabres got goals from Jeff Skinner and Alex Tuck, but the Kraken put in three of their own in the second period alone, and they pulled away for a 5-2 victory. Also skating to wins, the Maple Leafs, Lightning, Canucks, Panthers, Ducks, Jets, Oilers, Flames, and Coyotes. The Tennessee Titans are searching for a new head coach. Mike Vrabel was fired yesterday. And the Pittsburgh Steelers have announced that reigning sack leader T.J. Watt will not play against the Bills on Sunday. His 19 sacks are going to be missed by Pittsburgh. But I'll tell you this, Buffalo happy. They're not going to have to be dealing with him. And in baseball, the Cubs have made a splash in free agency. They have signed lefty Shota Imanaga to a multi-year deal that will pay him $15 million per season. That is a look at sports. Thank you kindly, Randy Mann. And still to come on the Noon Report, emergency meeting in Columbus, Ohio. Teaching girls the meaning of modesty and the Hawkeye Cockeye just five days away. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look in an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. A pitfall of the fallen human mind is how narratives can shape our perception of the world, even outweighing facts or common sense. For example, nuclear power is one of the safest ways to generate electricity. Yet, because of three dramatic accidents and the press surrounding them, Three Mile Island in 1979, Chernobyl in 1986, and Japan in 2011, nuclear power is widely perceived as extraordinarily dangerous. And now similarly, a narrative being pushed by many in the press aims at rendering something else radioactive. Homeschooling. As a Washington Post analysis found late last year, homeschooling is America's fastest growing form of education. Around 2.7 million students are homeschooled in America today. That's up by about a million since before the pandemic. And for Washington Post reporters, well, that's scary. One article described homeschooling as, and I quote, a largely unregulated practice once confined to the ideological fringe, whose rise in popularity is leading critics to sound alarms. 
And a school board member from Florida echoed this concern. Quote, many of these parents don't have any understanding of education. The price will be very big to us and to society, but that won't show up for a few years. End quote. In a Washington Post article on December 2nd, Peter Jamison recounted the tragic death of an 11-year-old California boy named Roman Lopez. According to the Washington Post, the real thing to blame here was that Lopez's stepmom said she was homeschooling him. Home education was an easy way to avoid the scrutiny of teachers, principals, and guidance counselors, suggests Jamison. Yet, at the same time, he then admits, and I quote, Little research exists on the link between homeschooling and child abuse. The few studies conducted in recent years have not shown that homeschooled children are at significantly greater risk of mistreatment than those who attend public, private, or charter schools, end quote. Nine days later, they then devoted an article aimed at debunking the work of homeschool researcher and advocate Brian Ray, who's long argued that homeschoolers outperform their public school peers. With little substance to criticize Ray's methodology, the Post instead devoted the space to quoting anti-homeschooling activists and Ray's aggrieved adult daughter. And then, three days after Christmas, the Post ran another article by Peter Jamison on the growing fear among homeschooling families that state funding in the form of vouchers could also come with increased government oversight. Leaving little doubt about where he stands on the issue of state oversight, he chose to throw in a story about a network of Nazi homeschoolers in Ohio. To simultaneously note how homeschooling has exploded in popularity, but in almost every article refused to ask why that's the case, is at best a stunning lack of curiosity. Ultimately, this series of breathless attacks by the Washington Post on homeschooling just reveal an unquestioned assumption that children belong primarily to the state and not to parents. The rise in homeschooling, as well as Christian schooling, parent-run charter schools, and all kinds of other educational innovations today show that more and more families simply reject this assumption. And in doing so, they're acknowledging the biblical expectation that it's the parents and not the state who are ultimately responsible for teaching and raising children. Look, if the press wants to keep giving homeschooling the nuclear power treatment, they should also develop a bit of curiosity about why so many parents are choosing, often at great sacrifice to themselves, to take their children's education back into their own hands. And they should ask what that says about the status quo. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you, John. Outside we go next, the always dependable Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. Our call for this afternoon, rather cloudy and blustery. A few flurries and snow showers, a light accumulation in a few spots in western New York. Temperatures steady or slowly falling. Then for tonight and tomorrow, Lake Effect snow will accumulate several inches east of Lake Erie in Ontario. Elsewhere, mainly cloudy with some scattered flurries. Blue tonight, 20s to near 30. High tomorrow in the 30s. Friday's mostly cloudy, then an area-wide snow will Arrive Friday night. High temperatures on Friday in the 30s and lower 40s. All right, very busy Kevin Williams at the Weather Center. Thank you. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. I'm your host, Bob Price. And here's what's happening this Wednesday afternoon, the 10th of January. Schools and roads closed today all across the listening area due to Tuesday night's violent wind and rainstorm. Reporter Maggie Vespa. Overnight cities on the East Coast from Maryland to New York to New England drenched by terrain rain, power outages spreading across the region, powerful wind gusts causing temporary ground stops at airports, hundreds of millions of Americans now dealing with a nasty winter wake-up call. A 74-mile-per-hour wind gust was recorded off Lake Erie in Dunkirk last night. Weather watcher Janice Dean says if you're sick and tired of the snow, ice, wind, and rain, well... 
too bad. Get used to it because we are into a storm pattern very similar to what we saw this week is going to happen in the next couple of days and then behind it yet another storm with the coldest air of the season rolling in. At last check more than 100,000 were powerless in New York nearly that many in Pennsylvania. The Pentagon finally giving an explanation for Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's mystery illness. Turns out the 70 year old has prostate cancer. Something President Biden Biden didn't learn about until yesterday. Peter Ducey at Fox News grilled White House spokesman John Kirby on the matter. Take a listen. How can anybody be certain that the administration would not go to the same lengths to keep secret problems with President Biden's health in the future? If, if you could logically argue, and you can't, but if you could logically argue that the administration... He's 81 wait, wait, years old. Wait a second. Just give me a second here, bub. The White House says it is looking into why the defense secretary kept his health condition a secret for so long. Former President Donald Trump will deliver part of the closing argument at his civil fraud trial in New York City tomorrow. Yesterday, he was in court in Washington. Reporter Robert Costa. I feel that as a president, you have to have immunity. Very simple. In the crowded courtroom, Trump sat in the front row next to his lawyer, who argued the former president and all presidents should be immune from prosecution over conduct while in office. To authorize the prosecution of a president for his official acts would open a Pandora's box. Special counsel Jack Smith's team pushed back. It would mean if a former president engages in assassination and then isn't impeached and convicted, there is no accountability. Tom Dupree is a former federal prosecutor. I think the final battleground on this will be the United States Supreme Court. Trump's election interference trial could start as soon as March in the nation's capital. Just five days to go till the Iowa caucuses. Reporter Ed O'Keefe has a preview. Good evening. On television. I think if you're a conservative, I'm your guy. And driving through the snow to be on the stump. Don't complain about what happens in a general election if you don't play in this caucus. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are now in Iowa for the final five days and are set to face off in a one-on-one debate tonight. While DeSantis and Haley look to be vying for second in Iowa, a new poll shows Haley has cut former President Donald Trump's lead in New Hampshire down to just single digits. Republican Senators Marsha Blackburn and Tom Tillis are co-sponsoring a bill that would punish protesters who block public highways. It's a direct response to the tactics of pro-Palestinian protesters who've intentionally blocked roads all across America. Sponsors of the Safe and Open Streets Act argue it's critical to stop Stop reckless behavior by what they call Hamas sympathizers. Secretary of State Tony Blinken in the West Bank today meeting with members of the Palestinian Authority about Israel's war with Hamas. Reporter Trey Yink says there's a real threat of this war blowing up into a regional conflict. The secretary's visit does come as a new attack was launched overnight by Iran-backed Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. The combined drone and missile attack was the largest to date to target the shipping lane. 18 drones were shot down during that incident by U.S. forces in what is the 26th Houthi attack since mid-November. Ohio lawmakers today plan to override Governor Mike DeWine's veto of a bill that protects women's sports from transgenderism and children from genital mutilation. DeWine vetoed the Saving Ohio Adolescents from Experimentation, or SAFE Act, last month. Lawmakers in Columbus today will 
act to overrule that veto in a special session of the state legislature. House Republicans begin an impeachment proceeding today against Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas. Here's reporter Brooks Singman. This comes after a year of record-breaking encounters at our southern border with nearly 2.5 million in fiscal year 2023 alone. That includes over 600,000 gotaways and 249 people on the terror watch list. More on the GOP impeachment push from correspondent Stacey Lynn. If they're successful, Mayorkas would be the first cabinet secretary impeached in nearly 150 years. The goal of Republicans is to capitalize on the border crisis and hold the Biden administration accountable. Their plan is to run the impeachment effort through the House Homeland Security Committee and not the House Judiciary Committee, which is where impeachment articles typically originate. Stacey Lynn in Washington. High school students in Brooklyn today forced into remote learning so 2,000 asylum seekers could move into their school gymnasium in order to shelter from last night's storm. This parent was not happy about that. We all should be safe from all type of all type of weather, but these people should have been deported back to where they came from because they came into this country illegally. Nearly 70,000 illegal immigrants are currently in the care of New York City. A bill's been introduced in the California House that would ban tackle football for children under 12. The Assembly Democrat sponsoring the bill says he's concerned about repetitive hits to the brain. And NASA is pushing back its timeline to send humans back to the moon. The Artemis II mission was supposed to launch this fall, sending a crew around the moon and back. A moon landing with Artemis III was supposed to happen next year. And to give Artemis teams more time to work through the challenges with first-time developments, operations, and integration. We're going to give more time on Artemis 2 and 3. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson says everything is slipping at least one year with the lunar touchdown now set for 2026. I'm Rory O'Neill. Next at noon, a closer look at the pressure that young girls face to be sexy today. Take a listen. Welcome to Family Life's Inside Out, where we look at how God transforms his people from the inside out. I'm Martha Manikis Foster, and today we'll be looking at some of the very adult pressures that girls face as they grow up. My guest is Dr. Danny Huerta, author and licensed clinical social worker who serves as vice president of Parenting for Focus on the Family. So, so Danny, what does it mean when people say that girlhood is being sexualized? Yes, yeah, so I have a daughter. She's 18, and I've worked with a lot of young girls that have uh, been in this culture that tells them that one of the most important things they can do as a teen girl is to be sexy, to be attractive on the external side, and their whole purpose is to attract a guy. And what I've seen with, with my daughter is her wrestling match with what culture's saying, what friends are saying, and the way they dress, and, and the way they act, and, and the, what they're talking about, and then what we're talking about in the home, and mm. then what we're talking about within the church. And all of us, but girls and women specifically for the conversation we're having now, all of us are more than sexual objects. But even just on a human development level, what kind of pressure does a girl, a child, or, or a teen, how, what kind of pressure does she feel when what she wears and what she plays with has a sexual meaning to others? So I've decided it's pretty, but it communicates to other people who, who see the code or see what the message is that maybe I don't see as a little girl. Yeah, that's a great point. There's, there's a whole psychology of dress. 
where they explore the psychology of how people feel mm-hmm. with what they wear and then how we interpret one another. So there's a lot ah. of communication with color, with the way we dress, certain clothing that'll get you the attention you're wanting so that you can fulfill those four thirsts that are so common to humans. And that is, I belong. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is, I have worth. I'm competent. I'm good at something and people can admire me. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is the sense of autonomy. I can make my own decisions. I'm mm-hmm. grown up. And to add a fifth is a sense of safety. I'm safe because people are looking at me. They, they admire me. There's this false sense of, of being loved by someone uh-huh. when really a girl's being consumed. For the youngest of girls, you know, parents and aunts and uncles, you know, we could decide not to to purchase fishnet stockings, for instance, for our kindergartners or dolls that wear them. But the environment around the girls, as you've mentioned, you know, that doesn't change because we're choosing not to buy toys that are sexualized or that encourages sexualization of our girls. So what do you recommend for parents of the youngest girls who want their daughters to, you know, have time to be girls before they grow up? But of course, as parents, we don't want to cloister them from the environment either. Help them find a, a variety of interests, and when you, when you give them feedback on who they are, there's a tendency for a lot of people to say, oh, man, you're so beautiful. Look how mm. beautiful you look, and it's all about that, and that's when they get the feedback, the most feedback and the most energetic feedback, and uh, it doesn't mean you're a bad person if you've done that or you've damaged <laughs> right. a young girl, but what you can do is expand that and say, man, I love that thought, right? Mm-hmm. I love when you do this, or loves a variety of things and show that excitement of what you're discovering and who they are. Mm-hmm. And then take time for a relationship, just hanging out with them, playing things they're interested in to show that love and attachment and developing that attachment with them. And then having very clearly defined boundaries on, on what shows they watch, what movies they watch, if they're going to have social media or phones, what friends they're choosing to have when they start in preschool and kindergarten and where they're going, Mm -hmm. it's okay to have rules. Those are very loving things to do for our young daughters and help them learn contributor and consumer from an early age. Who are contributors in life? Who are Mm -hmm. the ones that actually care about others Mm -hmm. and are loving and are kind? And then you model it, right, in your home. You model what you're going to teach. So be looking at the different ways that you can create that environment that goes beyond the external beauty and goes and goes deeper. And when you're looking at toys, help to redirect. So if you said, no, nah, let's not do that one. Let's do this one mm-hmm. instead. With young girls, they need the instead. Instead of just saying, no, we can't do that. No, no, no. You go no and then the yes. What? So what is it that you're defining mm-hmm. is a toy that she could be playing with and is more appropriate mm-hmm. in? There are plenty of toys to choose from. It does take some energy, and many parents are burned out and tired. But this is a worthwhile one to really Mm -hmm. dig into and uh, help define for your girls that sex isn't bad, sexuality isn't bad, it's something beautiful, but with the right definition from a biblical worldview, and then help them understand that there's a lot of fashion that can be really fun to explore, and then there's fashion that communicates the wrong message. All right, great stuff there from Danny Huerta. He's the Vice President of Parenting at Focus on the Family. You're plugged into the Noon Report, a Wednesday edition on Family Life. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast in the wake of the latest wind system. We've got a blustery day underway here. That blusteriness is carrying chillier air into the region, and a little lake effect snow can be expected. Our call for this afternoon, rather cloudy and blustery. 
There'll be a couple of leftover rain showers in eastern Pennsylvania. They'll be ending. Otherwise, a few flurries and snow showers, a light accumulation in a few spots in western New York. The temperature is steady or slowly falling. Then for tonight and tomorrow, Lake Effect snow will accumulate several inches east of Lake Erie in Ontario. Elsewhere, mainly cloudy with some scattered flurries. Low tonight, 20s to near 30. High tomorrow in the 30s. Friday is mostly cloudy. Then an area-wide snow will arrive Friday night. High temperatures on Friday in the 30s and lower 40s. All right, Kevin, thank you. Finally, at noon today, Pinky's Up. It's a fancy food day. Bree Tennis has our report. Today is Oysters Rockefeller Day. Fairly easy to make once you shuck those oysters. Oysters on the half shell topped with butter sauce, parsley, and breadcrumbs, lightly broiled, maybe some spinach. Created in 1889 in New Orleans at Antoine's Restaurant because they ran out of snails to make escargot. And the name, a nod to the wealthiest American at the time, John D. Rockefeller, who never tried the dish. I'm Bree Tennis. That's ironic. Thank you very much, Bree. And with that, we are out of time. That's the world we live in Wednesday, January 10th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.